going on in the larger alliance family is we're part of a denomination that's about uh, six million people worldwide. And what I love about our denomination, I didn't grow up in the, in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. I, I kind of married into it. And what I love about this denomination uh, is it focuses exclusively on the gospel of Jesus. So even the symbol that you see up there is about what they call the fourfold gospel where Jesus is savior, he's sanctifier, he's healer, he's coming king. And so their whole model for church planting and discipleship is based on getting to know King Jesus and completing his great commission. So it has this global movement. And so as I was there together, I just kept thinking like, like this group of people is like, uh, they're, they're all in. I mean, they are committed to the advancement of the gospel. And I kept having this phrase um, go through my mind is they are like at the point of the spear, right? At the spear tip. Like they are, they're wanting to get engaged where the kingdom of God needs to advance. And so they're always talking about where in the world are, are people not hearing the gospel, where there is no gospel influence. And so you know we have a partnership with North and Central Asia. Uh, Lily and Carlos Saavedra, who uh, are now gonna be going to uh, Mexico, and they're going to an area that has uh, less than 2% uh, evangelical gospel witness uh, in the area that they're going to. Um, it's known as the, the silent circle uh, of where they're going uh, in Mexico. So they're always talking about the gospel of Jesus and um, there are two themes that the Alliance hits all the time. So if you come to one of our membership classes, uh, we will be talking about these two themes. Uh, and so the, the two themes that they hit all the time are this uh, like missionary movement, gospel proclamation. We need to move, we need to go, people need to hear this good news, and we need to know Jesus better. And we need to love Jesus more. So it's these two, the, the kind of the, 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 the two cycles of the, the, the heartbeat of the alliance is on these two great themes of, of mission and deeper and deeper life. And so uh, when I became your lead pastor and I started talking with our pastor's team and we started talking about areas that we need to grow as a church and things that we need to change and things that we need to do, what we determined as a team is our first priority shouldn't be about what are the activities that we're going to alter, what are the things that we are going to, new initiatives that we're gonna take, which I'm very excited about those as we would you know, have greater partnerships globally and more strategic partnerships locally and, and grow in gospel proclamation. But the thing that we need to focus on first, the foundation needs to be about encountering God. It needs to be about us getting into the presence of God. And so as your, as your lead pastor, that was the first point of focus that I wanted to bring us to as a church, is that we need to grow as a church so that in every expression of our family of churches, every meeting, every gathering, it wouldn't be about religious activity, even if that religious activity is good. It would be about encountering God. It would be about uh, interacting with the invisible God as we gather together. And friends, the world doesn't need our best strategies. 
The world doesn't need our clearest gospel proclamation. What the world needs most is men and women who simply and humbly pursue God and pursue him and want to encounter him. And so uh, over these next five weeks, really this month, uh, that's where we're going to be going. And we're going to lay a foundation for increasing our hunger for God and, and laying a foundation for what it means for us to, uh, to, to practice uh, being in the presence of God together. And then also, what would it look like for us to minister out of the overflow of the presence of God? So today, my goal for our time is I really just want to make two foundational points uh, about the presence of God. Two foundational points about what it means to uh, encounter the, the presence of God, and then I want to give us a clear definition that we'll be able to uh, use over the next few weeks together of what does it mean for us to encounter uh, the presence of God. All right, so, and then we'll close our time with, uh, with the precious time around communion. So first point, we are created for the presence of God. You need to know that, that I'm not talking about something that's additional. I'm talking about something that you're made for. This was part of your design, unique of all creation, is you are made to be in and to experience the presence of God. You're not made to simply do godly things or think godly thoughts or speak godly words. You are made to be with God. You are made for his presence. If you remember Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, the manner of our creation was different from the rest of created order, right? Before humanity was made, what God did was he hovered over the chaos, that's Genesis 1, 2, the spirit hovered over the deep, and then God started to bring form and shape to the chaos, and he started to, to, to make things, and he commanded systems, and they were formed, and he commanded uh, water to be gathered, and then land would appear, and he commanded substance, and he gave it system, and he gave it order. But in the case of humanity, God imparts something of himself. God, God breaks the pattern in Genesis chapter 2. The magnificent cosmic power that spoke worlds into existence got very close. And it says this in Genesis 2, 7, then the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground, which that's kind of consistent with the previous aspects of creation, right? He was shaping and he was molding, but then it adds something new that had never before been experienced, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. In the case of humanity, God gives something of himself, and it's at this point that Dallas Willard rightly states, the two sides of the great human contradiction, dust and divinity, are now set in place. Right? Because God did that, because he breathed life into us, now we're not just a pile of dust. Yes, dust we are, and to dust we will return, but that's not all we are, because God has breathed life into us. 
Humanity is created unique of all creation. And we're not just animated dust. We are something of God. God has imparted himself to us. So yes, we are frail, but he has breathed life into us. And because of that, everything is different. Because of that move of God, that impartation of the spirit of God into humanity, because of that, everything is different. So we must learn to nurture our spiritual ears and our spiritual discernment. Right, just like you have to take care of your physical body, just like you need to eat and to breathe, you want to keep your pulse going, we are also made to be alive to God. So just like you tend to the physical man, we have to tend to our spiritual man. Right? And you know what it's like to tend to your physical man. Right? You have physiological needs. You, you get hungry. You get, you get thirsty. And when you're underwater, you got to get above water so you can suck in air. You know what it's like to tend to those physiological needs or to tend to your needs about being physically safe and not putting yourself in harm's way. Right? That's, that's us being attentive to the dust part of our humanity. But just like we are created with five senses to encounter the physical world, God has given us spiritual senses in which we can get to know God and engage the spiritual world. Can you relate to some of the spiritual needs as well? Like a desire for honor, a desire for respect, a desire for uh, what might be called self-actualization, a desire for love, a desire for belonging. Those are deeply held spiritual needs. And on this planet, we are going to get a taste of those. We're gonna feel it and we're gonna pursue it and we will get some experiences that seem to satisfy us, but only for a little bit. I love this C.S. Lewis quote that kind of picks up on the same thing. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can ultimately satisfy, right? If, if I can, in a relationship, I can taste something that, that is satisfying and fulfilling, but, but it always breaks down and, and it's not ultimately fulfilling or, or this sense of honor or awe, right? You can get some taste of it, but ultimately it's not completely fulfilled. And what C.S. Lewis says is the most probable explanation is I was made for another world, right? So God has made us for, for something more. And at the day of Pentecost, right, we read about in Acts, the, the fire of God's presence is no longer in a temple behind a curtain. The fire of God's presence resides on his people in order that the people of God would one day again experience the communion with God that they were designed for in the garden. So what Jesus has redeemed is our ability to be exactly how we've been designed and we are made to encounter God. We are made for his presence so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things 
freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So what the Holy Spirit does in the children of God is wake up what has been sleeping or bring back to life what had died that we were created with in the garden, and that was that we could encounter God, that we were made and created for the presence of God. Second point I want to make about the presence of God is we are created. Nope, that's the point I already made. It was so good, I'm going to do it again. (laughs) Second point I want to make is the people of God pursue the presence of God. That's what we do. Right, that's, what, that's what God has designed us for, is that the people of God would be in pursuit of God's presence. I want you to sit with that for a minute. Did you realize that that was your job description? Your job description isn't to be kind. Your job description isn't to um, you know, say nice things about people to care for people. Your primary job description as a worshiper is pursue God, pursue the Father, pursue encountering his presence. That's primary. There's a remarkable story here in Exodus uh, 33, and you're familiar with this story. Uh, This is where Moses, uh, who was God's leader for Israel, has a conversation with God, and he asks God if God would have the grace and the willingness to make himself known to Moses. Would you, would you let me see your glory? Would you, would you let me see what you're, what you're really like? And so Moses boldly asks God. I mean, that, such audacity on Moses' part. That he would say, God, let me, let me see what you're really like. And God, in his grace, acquiesces to Moses' request and says, I, I will let you see. I can't reveal myself in fullness because your limitations won't allow that and you'll be undone. So I will hide you, I will protect you, and I will let you see me as I pass by. But here's what's what, the thing that's remarkable to me about this very beautiful story, which you can read about in Exodus 33, is this. This was after the burning bush. Moses had spoken to God at the burning bush. He had received his marching orders to go to Egypt already. He had confronted the powers of Egypt, the the greatest military power in the world at the time, this little Jewish shepherd confronts them and, and wins and, and he had seen these miracles, these 10 plagues, and, and then he had led the people out, and there was the Red Sea, and it parted for him, and they were able to cross on dry land. And then as Moses, uh, and then as Pharaoh's army tried to pursue, God closed the water on them. I mean, this incredible deliverance, he had seen that. He had, he had been on the mountain, and he had been speaking 
with God and had received the 10 commandments, like this miracle had happened. And he had also seen the rebellion of God's people and the golden calf had happened. And Moses had been interceding for the people. And God had agreed to go with Moses and to, and to be present among the people. So all of this had already happened for Moses. So Moses had, had heard of God, had seen God, had seen his many miracles. And, he, and what he asked, excuse me, and what he asked was now something he wanted, he wanted it to be personal. He had seen all that God had done in ways that we have not. All of these wonderful works of God, but Moses now said, but God, there's something I really want. And what I really want is not simply to encounter the works of your hands or encounter the words of your mouth. What I want, God, is you. God, I want to encounter you. Moses wanted more. He was not satisfied with the works of God. He wanted God himself. God, I want you. I want your presence. I want to know the glory of God. And what's even more stunning is God was willing to give it to him. And so he made provision for Moses so that Moses would get to experience and get to encounter God. So he said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses is pursuing an encounter with God. And there is nothing general or secondhand or you know, like something that creates distance between, between Moses and the person of God. This is Moses and God interacting together. And you might say, Greg, that's a, that's a really cool story. That's a wonderful story. I'm glad Moses got to do that. But that's the exception, right? I mean, people don't really get to encounter God. God did that for Moses, but like, I'm no Moses. Well, actually, that's not just an encounter for Moses. That actually becomes the pattern for the people of God throughout history. Right? This isn't just unique to Moses. We're not talking about people just hearing things about God or following in his ways, but repeatedly they have firsthand experiences with the invisible God. And I'm not talking about just a couple of people. Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Nehemiah, Mary, Peter, John, the Apostle Paul. And then the saga continues after the first century in the lives of, of those that are recognized as leaders in the historical church. And they, and they wrote in their journals about their encounters with the invisible God. So uh, St. Augustine, Teresa of Avila, St. Francis of Assisi, Martin Luther, George Fox, John Wesley, uh, uh, Spurgeon, Fanny Crosby, D.L. Moody, A.B. Simpson, A.W. Tozer, Henry Nowen, all of these men and women of church history have said, I've met with God. Not just I've read about God, not just I've followed and obeyed the, the commands of God. They, they give testimony to interactions with the invisible God. And we see in each person a belief that personal communion and communication with God are both life-changing episodes as well as their daily bread. Man, we gotta raise our expectations. 
And not only that, there are untold thousands of humble Christians whose names will never appear in print. They will never preach a sermon. They'll never hold a title in any church who can testify equally well to exactly the same kind of encounters with God as are manifest by the great ones in scripture as well as those throughout church history. And some of them are in this room right now where they can say, Greg, I know exactly what you're talking about. I have had encounters with the invisible God. And somehow we've gotten the idea that the essence of faith is entirely a mental and inward way of thinking that eventually just impacts our behavior and our way of doing. We believe certain things to a certain degree and then what, what, what spiritual maturity then looks like is I believe more, therefore I obey more. And so we start dealing with sin in our lives and, and we realize we need to pray more and then we, we clean up our language a little bit and, and we find ourselves maybe being more generous to those who are marginalized and all of those are wonderful things but that's not the essence of Christianity. Christianity is not a cosmic health, self-help program, a life improvement plan. Jesus is not our life coach. At the core of Christianity is an encounter with the creator of all things. It is being one with the invisible God. It is knowing him and being known by him. And that creator reveals himself in the Old Testament with the name Yahweh. And Yahweh means what? What's Yahweh mean? It means I am. Not I, I was, not I will be, but I am eternally present, eternally available. At any moment in human history, God gives us his name and he says, I am, so that we can know him, so that we can encounter him. So the essence of our Christian faith is that we, among all humans on earth, are awake to God. We are alive to God. And what we need over these weeks is a thirst and an understanding that can guide us into constant interaction with God and the many expressions of his kingdom as a real part of our daily lives and ongoing enjoyment of a spiritual presence. And I believe we as disciples of Jesus cannot abandon faith in our ability to encounter God. We've got to cling tightly to the fact that as his sheep, we hear his voice, that we can be with him because to abandon this is to abandon the reality of a personal relationship with God and this we can't do. Our minds, as well as the reality of Christian tradition, stand against it and bring warning. Living Faith Alliance Church, we have got to cling to the fact that what we do as a worshiping body is we encounter the invisible God. So that was my second point. The people of God, what they do is they pursue the presence of God. So now let me give us some definitions. So I wanna, I wanna be clear. I'm gonna give you my working definitions of encountering the presence of God. 
Um, and and I, I can back this up and support this biblically, but I just want to, to say I'm not trying to speak comprehensively here, but I think as a church, we can get some good functional definitions of what it would mean for us as individuals and us as a church to engage the invisible God. So first of all, let me lay a bit of a foundation here. Biblically, when we talk about the presence of God, we talk about the presence of God in two ways. Uh, the manifold presence and the omnipresence of God. Uh, and I don't know, a little over a year ago, I think I introduced these two theological concepts to you. But just as way of a reminder, the omnipresence of God is what most of us understand as God is simply everywhere. Right, this talks about the greatness of God, that God is present in all things, omni, all. God is everywhere. So we talk about God's presence being inescapable. That's what Psalm 139 uh, is talking about, of where can I go from your presence, God? You're all over the place. Everywhere, God is present. And yes, God is omnipresent in his influence. He is sustaining all things at all times. He is holding every electron, every subnuclear particle in its place. Proverbs 8 gives us this beautiful picture of the way wisdom was with God, delighting in his workmanship at all of creation. And so all of creation is infused with the wisdom of God. And then as we move into the, the New Testament, we get a very clear statement that from him, through him, to him are all things. That's the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. But the manifest presence of God isn't that God is everywhere, it's that God is here. That's the manifest presence of God. The manifest presence means he is here. He has made himself available to our spiritual senses. When we talk of encountering the presence of God, what we're talking about is encountering the manifest presence of God. What had been invisible is made visible as God makes himself known. He's available to our spiritual senses. That's what we're talking about with the manifest presence of God. So here's my definition, my functioning definition, now that we know what we're talking about with the presence of God. Uh, I'm going to build on this definition so it has three parts. The first part, uh, the first part of encountering the presence of God, what do I mean by that? The first thing I mean is God makes himself known. God reveals himself. If we're going to talk about the presence of God, we're going to talk about God's self-disclosure, God making himself known. This is not something that we conjure up on our own. It's not something that we make up. This is something that God reveals, God makes known. So in the garden with Adam and Eve, right, as God got close, he breathed into Adam, right? He brought his life. He made that known. Adam didn't do anything to achieve it, didn't do anything to receive it. God just revealed it and offered it to him. Or on the mountain when Moses had his encounter with God, that was God making provision for Moses. If God didn't choose to show up, Moses would never have encountered God. So the presence of God, encountering the presence of God, always follows God's self-disclosure. 
That's why we ask for him. That's why we seek him. That's why we pray, God, make yourself known to us because if he doesn't make himself known, we're not gonna figure out the puzzle to get to God. God makes himself known to us. Uh, The most common Hebrew term for presence is panim, and in the Greek, it's prosopon, which is translated face. So I love this idea of the presence of God being the face of God, implying a very close personal encounter with God. Now, my two youngest children, they demand my face, right? Lorelai will literally put her hand, oop, let me use this side, put her hand here, right, and push my face to her face because she's wanting that, that, that personal engagement. She's wanting that, that eye contact. She's wanting to know that I have given her all of my attention, Now, Asher's way as an eight-year-old of of getting that is repeating, daddy, 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 daddy. Yeah, buddy, said yeah the first time, daddy, daddy. And what he's looking for is he wants my eyes. He wants 100% of my attention. That's the Greek word for the the presence of God where where God is making himself known and he's revealing 100% of his attention to you. So at times we will emphasize uh, that the presence of God um, is encountering the invisible God. The reason for this is that, um, so I'll use the phrase kind of interchangeably about the invisible God, that we're going to encounter not the presence, but the invisible God. The reason I want to emphasize this is so often when we talk about God, we talk about what God does. Right? Like God, God provided this and it was amazing or, or God, God um, you know, taught me this thing or, or um, you know, I saw God's provision in this particular circumstance. And all of those are wonderful things, but, but there's a big difference between what someone does and who they are. So when we're talking about encountering the invisible God, we're not talking about encountering just the works of God. We're talking about encountering him. We're talking about personal interaction with a personal God. So God reveals himself all day long in all aspects of creation. And in various ways, I interact with them and I acknowledge them and I'm thankful for the food that I eat. However, there's a difference between acknowledging the gifts of God and acknowledging the person of God. So the second aspect of his, this definition is God makes himself known, but God makes himself known to our spiritual senses. So for us to encounter God, God is going to make himself known to our spiritual senses. When we encounter God, our spiritual senses are now engaged, right? This engagement is our experience of his revelation, this is the difference between uh, the, the uh, omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. In the omnipresence of God, God is revealing himself constantly, constantly. God's making himself known. But the difference is in the manifest presence of God, we're engaging it, right? We're awake to it. We're alive to it. We're like, God, you're, you're present here. And it's not that God just decided to show up. He had been present, but we had been ignoring him. 
So God is making himself known, and we are engaging with our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears, the reality of the presence of God. We encounter the invisible God by being aware of spiritual presence. Uh, Psalm 73.28 says, For me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of your works. The psalmist wants to be near God. That's not a statement of the omnipresence of God. You can't get any more near. That's talking about, I want to be aware of how close God is. That's the manifest presence of God. Or again, in Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. That doesn't mean that God has had to travel some distance when somebody calls on him. That means that he is exerting his influence for our good in special ways that cause us to experience with spiritual discernment the reality of God's presence. So what does it look like then to have your spiritual senses engaged? Let's talk about that for a minute because it looks like a lot of things. It could mean that you have an increased affection for God. It could mean that you, you desire him more. So when the psalmist says, I want to be near God, that means his spiritual senses are engaged. And I'll be honest with you, I told you I was at council for a week. While at council, repeatedly, I was engaged in the presence of God. And the way that I identified that is I longed for him. Like I wanted more of God. My spiritual senses were acute to, God, I want to, I want to be with you. I want to be close to you. Or sometimes our, our spiritual senses are engaged when, when we're aware of God's comfort Right? Not only do we want him or long for him, but we're experiencing the comfort of God, of maybe being known by him, or, or the presence of God is very near to us, providing with us comfort. That's what it's, the psalmist is saying in Psalm 145. I want to be near God. I want to experience the closeness of God. I'm not interacting with God for his benefits or for his blessing, but for him. I can remember a time in college where felt like all of these decisions were piling up and I had like kind of big calls that I needed to make and I was really wrestling and and struggling and I remember spending lots of time in prayer and seeking God and I can remember going down uh, I went to Houghton College and I was on this dark road uh, highway 17 and I was just walking and I was praying and just asking God, God, what do I do? What decisions do I make? How do I sort this out? God, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. And I felt like God never answered any of those questions, but he was close to me. And that was like a life-changing moment for me to know the comfort of God. He comforted me. And it wasn't that he gave me a verse, although what he gave me was consistent with many verses. But I received the comfort of God. Sometimes... To have your spiritual senses engaged means you have missional clarity, means that it's really clear what God is calling you to do. So, so this would often happen for Jesus. He had this pattern of retreating and being alone. And then as he would come out of those moments of being alone, he's like, all right, this is what we're going to do. Here's the people that are going to follow me. And so he would have this missional clarity uh, as his spiritual senses would be engaged. Remember him in the garden where he was wrestling with what God had called him to do. 
sweating, dealing with uh, just intense anxiety and sweating drops of blood. And finally he came to, not my will be done, but yours. Right? He had missional clarity and he was able to move, he was able to move forward. So our spiritual senses are engaged when we encounter the presence of God. And just so you know, that is always consistent with the way God has revealed himself in scripture, right? So uh, this isn't you just uh, express or you have these feelings that are way outside the boundaries of, of the way God has revealed himself throughout scripture. These are always consistent with the fruit and evidence of the spirit of God. So the third aspect of my definition, this puts it all together. God makes himself known to our spiritual senses, and we align ourselves with him. This is a significant point, that we align ourselves. There were many times where the first two would be true of people, where they would have a spiritual encounter uh, with Jesus. They would be spiritually uh, alert to him, but then they would reject him. Well, there are times where Jesus was dealing with uh, uh, the demonized, and demons would, they would know, they, were, they, they would be encountering the presence of God, but it would be uh, in rebellion. They would be pushing against, right? So what we want to do as the people of God is as God makes himself known to our spiritual senses, then we align ourselves with him. Let me make this really clear, Right? You're, you're always gonna have that dichotomy of dust and spirit. And so as God makes himself known to you spiritually and you sense him, then you're gonna activate your dust, right? It's going to look like something for you to be spiritually alive. I don't know, it's gonna look like a thousand different things. Not any one thing is the expression of spiritual engagement of God. We read through scripture, there's, there's many different ways that we respond to our spiritual senses engaging and encountering God. But here's what I do know, is that it will be expressed in your flesh. It will be. It might put you to your knees, it might, it might have you raise your voice. It might have you sell your house. It might have you cross uh, the road and have a different conversation. It might have you serve somebody. I don't know. It's going to look like a thousand different things, but it's going to look like something. When God speaks and we meet him, it changes us. So when Jesus met him in the garden, he was resolved to follow what God had spoken to him. When Moses met him on the mountain, when Moses would meet him in the tent of meeting, Moses' face would glow. I don't know if our faces are gonna glow, but what I do know is there will be some manifestation of the reality that God is here. A.W. Tozer said this, the omnipresence of God and the manifestations of the, of the presence are not the same thing. There can be one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. He is manifest only when we, only when and as we are aware of his presence. Always everywhere God is present and always he seeks to have himself discovered to each one he would reveal not only that he is, but what he is as well. God is wanting to make himself known. 
And so Living Faith Alliance Church, the reason we're doing this sermon series is so that we would raise our expectations and increase our thirst for him and learn to pursue him together. And then what we would see is an empowered movement of God's people who are interacting with the invisible God and making the invisible God visible. The reality of God is not simply something that is future in heaven. We are designed to encounter him now. So the soul, it has eyes with which to see and ears with which to hear, but what? But they may be struggling because they haven't been used very often. And so what we're looking to do is to ask God to open our spiritual eyes, to, to clean out our spiritual ears. And so the way that we're gonna do that, we're gonna do a couple things as we close our service. Uh, the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna just spend some time meditating on the Father, right? So, so his presence is about God making himself known. Jesus gives us truth about the Father. Or we can make himself known. And I'm gonna pray that God would uh, awaken our spiritual receptors to, to engage God as we meditate uh, on the Lord's Prayer. And I'm gonna give you some time just to consider what is it that God is saying to you. So I'm gonna read this to you one time. And as I read it, I want you to listen. I want you to listen to one word, one phrase that stands out to you. Uh, and then I'm gonna give you some further instructions, all right? So as I read this, uh, I'm gonna uh, ask that you would just be sensitive to, again, one word or one phrase uh, as we seek to cultivate the presence of God this morning. So this is how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So what I want you to do is I want you to zero in on a word or a phrase from what Jesus taught us to do. And I'm gonna ask you to think about it, to meditate on it. So if it's our Father, it's a beautiful truth that Jesus reveals himself as our Father. He doesn't say our teacher, our king, our master, our creator, all of which would be true. This point, he chose to focus on that he is our father. Why? Right, so that's the kind of work I want you to do is just pick a phrase, pick a word, just meditate on that word. And then in a few moments, I will have a stand up and we will do the Lord's prayer together. So Jesus, thank you for this space to consider you. And I pray that you would make this a place that our spiritual senses would be alert to your voice. You would open our eyes to see things. 
And I pray that what would happen here is that your people would learn to position themselves to encounter God. We don't control you. We don't demand that you show up in ways that we want. But we slow down and we put ourselves in position to hear your voice. So Holy Spirit, in the quiet of these moments, as we reflect on the Lord's prayer, pray that you'd speak.